You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Fan Podcast number 229. I am your host for this week, David Cohen, and uh, rather than having Tim on this week, I'm joined by a guest co-host, uh, Donny Ancolo from the MyMac.com website. Uh, how are you, Donny? Pretty good. How are you doing, David? Uh, yeah, you can probably hear I've got a bit of a cold, um, but uh, it does seem to have done some enrichment to my voice, so that probably is going to improve the podcast, but uh, I might have to mute every now and again for coughing and sneezing, but never mind that. Um, so why don't you, for, for anybody who's uh, not come across you before on my Mac, why don't you give it, tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, let's see. Well, I've been writing for my Mac for about 10 years now, something like that, and mm-hmm. um I've done reviews over there, editorials, um, a cartoon called Thumbnails over at my Mac. Um, I also am a full-time art teacher. I've been teaching for about 17 years. And I do freelance artwork illustration. I've written and illustrated some children's books that um, I sell through the iBookstore. And I've illustrated some books for some other people as well. Cool. So you do plenty to keep yourself busy. I try. Yeah. How do you, um, how do you find teaching in this kind of more technically advanced age where all the kids have loads of electronics on them all the time? Um, it depends on the age. And I've done from, some from preschool all the way up to high school. Middle school and high school, it's more of an issue than with elementary school. Yeah. Um, the middle schoolers and high schoolers want their phones out all the time as much as possible, texting and all that stuff. But it can also be a benefit because if you need to look something up, you can say, you know, take your phone out, look, look up. What does a turkey look like, or yeah, whatever? But um, yeah, it can go both ways. So I haven't you, seen too many watches yet, though. No, no, I, I, yeah, I guess they're. Um, I, I still see the the watch as very much more of a of a luxury item. So yeah. um, you know, I mean, I, I I move in fairly technical circles, but I don't see that many of them myself either. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I still think it's. Um, even though they, they announced some fairly good results this week with uh, with watch sales, um, I don't I don't think it's really it's really hit the mass market like the phone tower no. at this point. Yeah, I think when it when they get it down, if they ever get it down to one hundred dollars around that price range, it'll go crazy. And I think that's when it's going to become a problem in schools because kids can text and do stuff, and teachers won't even know because it's right on their wrist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it's all about the distraction thing. There's something about um, the social interaction that, that technology gives you that, that it can be quite addictive and people are prepared, unprepared to give it up um, no matter what the circumstances, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, and that, and that can, can be a bit of a, a bit of a bother. Right. I, I mean, guess. right yeah. now teacher, I know, I know teachers that'll say, you know, leave your phone at the door or they'll have a box in the room, but I don't know if you can say that with a watch. Yeah. So, yeah. That, a that. kid could be just looking down. What time is it? But, or they could be, texting someone in another classroom so that's right yeah yeah i guess it's um i guess that's a, a a bridge we'll have to cross um as other devices become more um more more prevalent really but uh do you i mean do you use a lot of technology actually in your in your teaching i mean it's i, I know in the in the british school system that there's been periods when they've injected fair amounts of funding so a lot of a lot of British classrooms have like these what they call an interactive whiteboard, which basically is a uh, 
as is a projector with a computer system on it so that you can kind of write on the uh you can write on the screen and you can um project stuff on the screen and interact with it with special pens and things do you do you use anything like that in your classes i don't right now um the most i do is i project um like power like a keynote presentations or yeah. slides or to show what i need the kids to see as examples instead of um having tons and tons of posters but um now for for six years i taught at a high school where i did just taught photoshop and digital photography so mm-hmm. i had more of a more interaction with tech there than i do now now i'm doing more of general art for elementary school so but um we're supposed to be getting computers more computers soon so i'm sure i'll be um uh integrating more of that as i can yeah yeah i i think i think technology has a role to play but sometimes i, I guess uh I don't, I don't know again here in the uk education seems to be something that gets experimented with a lot um so consequently it has received a lot of technical innovations as people try and improve education um with with kind of mixed success really um i don't, I don't know whether whether in your school systems whether people are more conservative about making changes uh, depends on the school system, I think, and there's also a lot of private schools in my area, so they're the ones that kind of tend to um, move forward with technology quicker. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess I guess that's that probably uh, goes to the territory there. But but going back to what we're talking about about you know the kids having toys to play with, I guess they'll be the first people to encounter those problems as well with the kids having uh, expensive toys as opposed to yeah. the general school system. So. Maybe you'll be taking tips from them. So, yeah. I mean, so you, obviously you're you're an art teacher. You've, you mentioned that you do you you do drawing, you do art. You you know, do you, I mean, do you, do you look at the iPad Pro? Is that something that um that that excites you? Is that something you're looking forward to playing with? You know, with what, it, I don't I don't want to play with it because I think if I do, I might want it. <laughs> but um, because the, at the that price to me, I think I said I don't know who I said this to recently, but if I'm, I'm not going to get an iPad Pro until I need a new computer, and I, I know it can do what I want. Because for that price, I'd rather just get a computer. I think. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm going to admit that that kind of what put me off about it is that um, I know they, they they want to introduce something at the high end of the of their um, of their product cycle, but but to me, yeah, when when it's as much as a as a MacBook, then that 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 makes the decision making a lot more tough. Right. Yeah. And if I mean, if it was something I would use constantly and have be able to, you know, use it in as a profession and you know make money off it full time, then it might be worth it. But it'd be more of a hobby type of a toy kind of thing. Well, yeah, I, I, I suppose art is art, and I guess the the, right. uh, the end user doesn't really care what you use to produce the art; they just care about what the art does right. or says to them and. So uh, if you can if you can if you can evoke that same emotional response by something you've drawn with pen and paper, then then why use an electronic tool? Right, and I and I have the Mac. I could draw on the Mac all the time. Yeah, with a, with a uh, Wacom tablet. So now the, one of the things that I've heard said um, about the iPad Pro and the, and the pencil is that um, it uh, you know it's better than the Wacom because it you know it doesn't have the lag. And do you have one of those fancy ones where you're actually drawing on the screen? Or you actually? Um, I actually re- recently reviewed one for my Mac, the Cintiq 13-inch, uh, where you have, it's basically you're drawing right on the screen. Right. And 
from what I saw, and I have a 2011 iMac mm-hmm. that I ran it on. I had no lag at all. It was just like if it, it was like an electronic piece of paper in my lap. It was it was awesome. Yeah. Um, even with the regular tablets, I know. I think it's more the computer than the tablet with the lag. I've never seen any lag uh-huh. unless it's a certain program. Um, Corel Painter, in my experience, is the one program that has had the most lag, if any. Yeah. But um, the programs I've been using recently, there's no lag at all, and it just goes wherever you go, and it's just like you're drawing on paper. Yeah. Uh-huh. What about this? Uh, they say that with the Cintiq, because the glass is the screen is actually quite deep in the glass. There's kind of a an offset between where you where you place your pen and where you actually see the drawing appear. Is that something you notice as well? No, I didn't notice that at all. I don't know if that's with the older ones. Yeah. Um, I've actually seen that more with an iPad than with the Cintiq. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. It's 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 interesting. I mean, you know, you connect. So you say you can spend up end up spending an awful lot of money trying to emulate something that, that you know in the real world is is cheap and has been known for hundreds of years. Um I think I think for me you've you've got to you've got to see some advantage of doing it that way over and above just replicating a conventional tool uh in order right. to kind of justify it really. And and I I'm still I'm still a bit confused by the iPad Pro. I I'm not quite sure what it wants to be. Um and I, I that's why I was interested to hear your perspective in that um, you know, whether uh, existing electronic drawing tools are, are not up to the job. It sounds like they're not. Uh, it sounds like they are. They're perfectly fine. So, again, I, I just want, I wonder whether the iPad Pro is going to be something that doesn't really go anywhere or not. I mean, if, if you're more of an artist on the go, I guess an iPad Pro might be better because you don't want to lug around a Cintiq with you. Yeah. Um, and it is easier to draw when it's right there in front of you than having to draw on like a non-screen style tablet and you're looking yeah. at the screen and you're not really drawing what you're drawing on the tablet. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll see if it takes off. I imagine it probably will, but maybe not for what they intended also. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can see it being a, you know, in the boardroom, something that, that guys who, who like iPads and don't like to have laptops might gravitate towards, uh, particularly as you know, it, it, Shows a bit of, uh, you know, it shows show, shows off kind of bit of your of your corporate juice if you if your company will, will pay for one of those for you rather than something cheaper. Um, but uh, I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll see. Uh, I'm interested to see it, but I have a colleague at work who um, asked me if I was going to buy one because he knows that I buy a lot of the uh, a lot of the new Apple stuff, and I said no, I really don't don't see it and uh he's kind of been joking with me ever since that oh as soon as you see it going to buy one but i'm i'm pretty sure i'm not <laughs> yeah I, I I mean, there's not much that it can do it can't do much more than the regular ipad really except for that the pen exactly and a few features so and and in some yeah. respects for me carrying an i do carry an ipad with me when i travel when i'm working um for me having a bigger ipad is actually is actually a disincentive. I, I like the fact the iPad is the size it is. I wouldn't like to have one that's bigger because that makes it less portable. Um, right. You know, particularly if you're also because, like, you know, the nature of it is that you you have to carry. I find I have to carry a laptop as well a lot of the time because there's some things I just can't do on the iPad. Uh, and um, the iPad Pro is still running the same operating system, and uh, it's uh, you know, it's so so it's it's not. It, 
apart from being bigger, it's not going to fix any of the problems I have if there are certain programs I can't run, there are certain documents I can't see because they don't work on the iPad. So um, I'd still need the laptop with me as well, in which case, what's the point of having something bigger? I'd probably have rather a smaller one. Right. Yeah. Do, you, um, do, do a lot of students use um, tablets in school? Not in my school. No. Um, I think that's more – when I, we worked at a private – my last private school I was at, it, the kids had a choice of what they could bring in as far as laptops, and a lot of them had iPads, some had Macs, some had Windows machines. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it depends on the situation, if what the school allows. And some of the counties will do um, all iPads, some do all Mac, some do all, the one I'm in is all Windows based. So, yeah. All depends on the situation. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, when, when you're spending public money, you have to have a, a decision about what everyone wants and then everyone gets the same thing. Right. So, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, the, I, I guess the fact that such a diverse you, you've worked in schools with diverse ranges of devices and type shows that they're they're all good for the basics, um, and there's not necessarily one that's better than anything else for doing particular things, unless a school is supporting a particular ecosystem by saying you've got to use. I know, I, I, I know that a lot of the the schools that support Chromebooks do it because they they you know they bought into Google Docs and. Google Mail, and they use that for actually interacting, and 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 kind of the whole ecosystem then is part of the design, as opposed to just saying you've got to have a computer. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I guess it, it just depends on if they want it all to sync together, or or if it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. sometimes it's easier if it doesn't matter, and sometimes it's easier if it's <laughs> all together. Yeah, I, and well, some I, I know I know from writing business cases. Sometimes you you have to bolster a business case by actually making it more than just a hardware spend. And so, if you are going for something like Google, then you can say, well, actually, if we have these accounts and we have the devices that support the accounts, then we can do all of these things. But just necessarily making that decision and even justifying it to get the money doesn't mean that that many people actually execute on that and actually deliver that kind of uh, that vision that they put in the business case. So, um, you know, you have to you have to put effort in. In fact, an awful lot of times in my job as an IT consultant, I see business cases where nobody ever puts the effort in after they've done the spending to actually make it make the vision work. Uh, right. And at that point, you have to question whether the, you know, was the business case designed just to try and get the money through over the line or was or, um, you know, was 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 the vision they painted too aspirational and they didn't have, actually have the uh, capability of. of changing people's minds to deliver it because you know a lot of this thing is culture rather than technology it's all about making people use it and making people understand the benefits of using it rather than necessarily just having the stuff right and if it's there they have to use it any like it has to be used if it's not used there's no point in putting it there anyway well exactly you know unfortunately in my experience what a lot of people do is they, they say well once they've spent the money, they can't say, oh, well, well, the money's spent now, it's gone. So, uh, all right, we'll try and learn from that, but we won't try and um, fix fix the, the, the problem we see in front of us. We'll just sort of remember that for next time. You know, someone's like saying, oh, well, the, the money's gone now. We'll never uh, we'll never get it back, so let's just move on. Right. Uh, yeah, that's partic- particularly something I see in, in public sector here in the UK. Is people make a mistake, spend a lot of money, and they go, oh, okay, well, we've done that now. What's next? Right. Yeah. I mean, I work. I work at a summer camp, 
and it's a private. They're based on a private school. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure the camp is um, it's Mac based. And two summers ago, while we were there, they were installing Apple TVs to all the projectors. So their ecosystem is all Mac, and I'm sure they use the Apple TVs for some reason. Like maybe they project presentations to it or yeah, something. So if you go all in, it can be very beneficial too. That's right. Yeah. But um, it's interesting they were doing that, but yet you you don't have a clear idea what they were doing it for. Right. Uh, I guess that you know, that that's part of it. If you have a vision and you you spend money, you you've got to communicate what you expect people to do with that stuff. Otherwise, it just sits there doing nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I must admit I've heard people say, oh, I carry an Apple TV around with me so that I can. Uh, do do presentations and stuff from an iPad or from a Mac or anything. I've I've never seen anyone do that myself. Most of the business projectors I come across nowadays have so many ports on. You can pretty much connect anything to anything without having to use a device in the way. Right. The, and the iPad. I don't know. Does the do the new iPads have video out now? Well, you can get a dongle that does it. You can get right. a, a right. lightning dongle that gives you HDMI. Um, okay, yeah. And and most modern projectors will take HDMI and if they can't you, it's fairly easy to convert HDMI to uh, with a dongle to DVI and if they don't take HDMI they tend to take DVI um, so you you can connect up an iPad to uh, to a projector fairly easily what tends to limit you sometimes yeah exactly what what tends to limit you sometimes is actually physically getting access to projector and to the connectors that I've seen it where um because in a lot of corporate spaces, I, the, the projectors are mounted in the ceiling, so they have to have leads coming off and then brought down to right. a breakout right. box at the desk. I'm sure you've seen this in schools and stuff as well. Right. Uh, and and what I often see is that they, um, the projector has about five or six different port types on it, and yet the only thing that's brought down to the desk is VGA. Right. Uh, and of course, if you if with VGA, even with with many modern laptops now, you can't do VGA on them. Uh, and so you're kind of stuck then, and uh, and so you end up with this clunky situation where they have a, a like a really old PC or laptop just connected to the uh, projector just for projection purposes, and so then when you when you want to project to it, you have to basically put your uh, your presentation onto a, a thumb drive and actually run it on software on this computer in order to be able to project it, which is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and then you have to hope everything converts right and it shows up the way you wanted it well, to and well yeah let's, let's face it if you'd written a, a presentation keynote and then you get to somewhere and they only have a pc running office 2010 uh, because most people reject powerpoint then you're kind of right. stuck you know right. there's not there's not nothing you can be able to do except for um, unless maybe convert the project the present to pdf or something well you can um, export it to a powerpoint format yeah, but I tend to find if I do that from a keynote presentation, you you lose a lot of the benefits of keynote in terms of if you've got transitions and things and they often don't work properly. And um, the layout may not be the same. Exactly, yeah, fonts can change and things like that. At least with PDF, you know it'll look like you intended it to look like, you know. Um, it's an interesting conundrum. I, I wrote – I'm doing a presentation in a few weeks for um, for Taser – who are the you know the guys who do the stun guns? But here in the okay. UK, they we don't have a lot of you know our our police aren't generally armed, so um, they do they a lot of them do get to carry um, stun guns now tasers, 
Um, but but it's still fairly well controlled about who can use them, and they have special training, and everything. But but um, body cameras is a big market here, and Taser also do body cameras, and that's really the, the thrust of this technical summit that they're doing is is trying to drum up body body camera business. And they've asked me to speak. I've I've dealt with them before. Um, so I wrote this presentation about on my on my talk. Uh, in fact, the last time I spoke in front of Taser, I, I kind of did it without a present at all. I just stood up and spoke for about half an hour um, without any slides. But this time they said they wanted slides. And so I had this kind of um, decision to make, which is how do I how do I do that? My natural inclination is to, I, you know, I've seen a lot of Apple keynotes, so my natural inclination is to do something that's that's kind of it's not nowhere near as good as an apple keynote but in that similar sort of style you know lots of big graphics um not very much text and really just pointers to kind of interject and, and perhaps reinforce what i'm saying but the difficulty i find in a corporate environment is that a lot of companies don't like that because they can't hand those slides out they like to be able to hand the slides out to the delegates so they can look at them again afterwards and you, if I, you know, you could hand out those slides and it won't make any sense because they'd just be pictures and a few bits of text. So you have to try and balance between what you're actually going to deliver. Um, so I decided to move it a bit further towards having a bit more detail in the slides. But even then, I want to be able to inject my points with transitions and animations and stuff like that. And that's also stuff as well. It doesn't translate. They print them out. So I ended up doing it the way I wanted to do it, but then sending them an email saying, I'm happy for you to distribute this electronically, but don't print it out and give it to people because it won't, it won't look right. Because some of the slides had like you know two or three layers of graphics that will all be on top of each other if you print them, you know. Right. So it, it, I, it's interesting because I think so many people um, kind of use slides and projection decks and everything like that in a way that's not actually is not very useful to anybody because they basically use it as a as a way of giving people like raw text information and i always think if you're going to do that you'd be much better to write a proper document uh, in a word processor rather than do it in bullets on slides which actually you know um debases what you're trying to say to people and sometimes those bullets on slides are hard to read because they choose colors that clash and yeah, well, in fact, a lot of a particular problem in in my company. There's only about 15 of us, and some of these guys, you know, they use PowerPoint for everything. They seem to have this idea that it's easier to use than Word. I don't think it is, but but they do. And so they'll actually write deliverable reports, you know, actually things that clients will pay for in PowerPoint, and they'll write these oh, wow. these slides that are so dense with text. And I think that they think they're saving themselves time because they're thinking. All right, well, I can do it in PowerPoint and I can go to the client and I can project it and talk through it and then give them the slides afterwards. I don't have to write two documents, I only write one. But of course, you look at this, you know, um, 40, 50 lines of text on a slide projected and you just think, what is the point of that? Because, you know, the guys are either going to sit there trying to read it and if they're not right at the front of the room, they can't read it anyway. And in the meantime, while you're talking, they're still trying to read what you've put up on the slide. It right. uh, doesn't make any sense to me at all, but I see it all the time, and it's really uh, it's really odd. Sorry, I lost my headphones for a second. <laughs> that's okay. Okay, well that, that's a that's a good um, a good point to take a brief break, and we'll um, we'll drop in a um, a reference to one of the other podcasts on our network, uh, and then we'll come back in a moment. Hey Siri, I'm looking for a new podcast. How about three geeky ladies? Well. I want to hear about technology. As I said, 
Three Geeky Ladies. I want to learn about different types of apps and websites that will help me in my day-to-day life. Um, Three Geeky Ladies fits the bill. A podcast that talks about new releases in Apple, like iCloud, Photos, new iPhones, and iPads. Oh, and El Capitan is coming out soon, right? As I've been saying, Three Geeky Ladies is what you want. Say, what about the Three Geeky Ladies podcast? That looks like exactly what I want. Thanks, Siri. Wow. Three Geeky Ladies, a technology podcast from a female perspective. Find it on the Stoplight Network. And we're back. So um, we were talking before about the iPad Pro, Donnie. One of the things that I've noticed since I upgraded to iOS 9, do you, do you use an iPad yourself? Yes. Yeah. I have the uh, Air 2. You have the Air 2. So you have the one that's capable of the full split screen mode. Right. Have, do you use that at all, the multitasking? I've used it on occasion. Um, the couple times I really wanted to use it, I couldn't because of the. I was trying to take something from pages into um, actually the program I used to make um, the children's books. I'm trying to finish up a book. Right. And the, that. That app isn't supporting it yet. Yeah, and that's kind of that's what frustrates me about the whole business. Really, is I think it works really well, and I'm used to doing that sort of multitasking before because I've had the Windows 8 tablets that kind of did that from day one. Um, but they did it with every program that ran, um, whereas iOS 9 only does it with programs that support it. And I, I'm finding very few programs that, that have built-in support for those functions, even. Even uh, on the on the older iPads that just kind of can do the, you know, here's here's your main app in the background, and then you can slide one in from the side and right. briefly interact with it. I look through the hundreds of apps I've got on my iPad, and very few of them actually support work running in that mode. And um, I thought they all could do that. Nope, because there's several times I thought, oh, it'd be be good while I'm I'm on this web page and I might be filling out a form or. Um, looking something up, and I think, oh, I, I, I just want to check uh, that news story that I read recently. Okay, I go to my, want to go to my my RSS newsreader, which I, is is the one I use called Unread, um, and that won't appear in the side window. It's I not. Thought you not meant, I thought you meant you couldn't pull over the window in any. Yeah, you can pull the window yeah, over a bit. That's right, but right, right. You, you know, obviously, all the Apple apps work in there, so you can you can right. use the browser, mail, and everything like that. But often, I want to have a a different app in the side. Um, Spotify is another one. It'd be nice to pull Spotify in from the side and maybe change your song or something like that. You can't do that because it doesn't support iOS 9. Yeah. I um, always wonder, is it just a line of code they have to put in there, or is it It must be more involved than that because you would think if it's just a line of code, everyone would be doing it. You would imagine so, but uh, but it's not. And, and also as well, I have an iPhone 6S now, so it's got 3D touch on it, and there's like a, a steady drip of apps coming through with 3D touch support. So you can force press on the app icon to do various different things. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's fairly slow. In, in times gone past, you've seen like a, a, a gangbuster update as everyone rushes to add support for these features. But this time, they just don't seem to be doing that. And um, it's kind of frustrating because we have all these kind of cool capabilities. And we can't use them a lot of the time. You wonder if, if people are trying to figure out how to use the 3D Touch, like how their app can actually make use of it. Yeah. If that's the hold up, or maybe it's harder to implement than one would think. I don't know. 
perhaps I, I, I mean, I suppose it, it's a different way of interacting with that. So you kind of have probably have to put some thought into what you want to do. I mean, I've got to admit, I find the ability to force press an icon from the home screen not very useful for me personally. The way I use my phone, because I don't have, I don't tend to access my apps on the home screen. I've kind of got the habit of searching for them using um, Spotlight and then launching okay. them directly. And so I don't often have a requirement to force touch directly from the home screen. And and the problem with 3D touch in in, in that respect is that it's it's quite undiscoverable. Even if the app's added support, unless you happen to read it in the notes when you've had a, had an update, you're not going to know. Um, and you don't you don't want to start kind of randomly pressing icons on your home screen just in the hope you're going to find something that's got right, right. false touch support, you know. So uh, I would imagine that force touch is more used by power users, and I don't, the average person probably doesn't even know it's there. Yeah. So maybe it's not even being used. Maybe that's why developers aren't even bothering to do it because uh, most people maybe don't know it's there even if it is there don't even use it which which is a kind of an interesting interesting conundrum for apple because it's a headline feature of the r6s right and if you have yet most people don't know that it's there you know what are they buying the phone for you know the, the, the phone is sorry you were saying well so, you know they got to have the latest phone yeah, but you know that, the camera. Yeah, that. But yeah, but that. Well, even with the camera, we've we've just upgraded to um, all the people in my company to a 6s because we we started a new phone contract a couple of months ago, and I said, as I said, we're a fairly small company now, about 20 people. So I said, I said to the guy who was organising the phone contract, I said, don't replace any handsets now. Wait till the new iPhone comes out, and then because everyone will probably want one of those. So we basically bought 20 phones in one go. And um, handed them out to people. Most people were coming from a 5 or a 5S. Okay. Um, and having given it to them, you know, there was – I had to spend a fair amount. I'm not really the IT support guy, but, you know, I'm, I'm known as the Apple guy. So I had to help a fair few people trans, transit their data over. But most of them did not know any of the features of the new 6S at all. Um, and when I – for the first time I showed somebody a live photo – they went, oh, how did you do that? And I said, well, it's built into the phones now. And they went, oh, you know, and they had no idea. And 3D Touch as well is something they had no idea about. Um, and I, 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 the, the problem, I think the problem for Apple is that while people want to buy their new phones because it's the new hotness and they've got to have the latest new thing, uh, and obviously people are kind of tied into the ecosystem and they, they like their they they like their Apple phone and so when they're ready to upgrade they want to upgrade to the next Apple phone. That to me sounds like a you know a less tenuous grip on the market than perhaps having phones that are recognised by the general by the general populace as being the best phones going because of the excellent usability features and the things they've got on it. And I just I just worry for Apple that you know they could fall off a sales cliff at some point because they're putting features in their phones that nobody's interested in. I mean that 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 was something that Samsung did, and it didn't work out for them very well, did it? Right. Well, it's, it could be the same can be said with the um, split screen split screen on the iPad. I mean, I I bet you many people don't even know that's there. Funnily enough, I mean, actually, we know about it. So, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll show my wife. I'll go look at this. This is cool. She'll so, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, actually, I um. I picked up my wife's iPad last night 
and I noticed that it had uh, 26 outstanding app updates on it and also a software update as well. And so I said, well, what's going on here? Why don't you... She said, oh, I thought they updated automatically. So I turned the settings on for that and then I applied the software update as well, which was iOS 9.1. I'm pretty sure I had already upgraded it to 9 for her. Um, but anyway, she started picking up after it finished doing all of this stuff and she accidentally swiped in the sidebar with the um, the multitasking thing. And she went, oh, I've not seen it do this before. And I went, oh, yeah, it's new on iOS 9. And so I showed her what it could do. And the same sort of thing. She went, oh, yeah, fine. I said, oh, look, you could maybe you could look at your messages while you're um, while you're on the Facebook page or something like that. And she went, oh, yeah, OK, fine. And she wasn't really particularly blown away by it. But she did. Yeah. It was another one. She didn't know it was there either. Yeah, I don't think the average user cares or, you know, some, unless someone shows them and they're interested in it, they're not going to use it. Yeah. But even, I mean, even for pro users, I mean, or what, whatever you would consider the two of us. Yeah. I mean, the, the live photo on the new phone. I mean, I don't have the new phone, but that actually doesn't interest me at all. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I, tend, I tend to leave it turned on because I... I I have a big, I have a 64 gig phone, so it it costs me a bit more space, but it's not um, it's not something that I'm really overly concerned about. And and a couple of photos I've taken, really, it has added something to them, but there are an awful lot that it doesn't. Um, you know, it is it is kind of a nice marquee feature to show to people, right. uh, particularly with you know kind of candid photos of family. You know, if you're showing anytime you're showing a a picture of uh, the grandkids to your grand to the grandparents, you know they if you if you if you have the live photos on that, that's a little bit more than a grandkid right. photo than just a straight photo. They're, they're going to get a kick out of that. But, yeah, my grandmother probably would have loved it. Yeah, but um, but yeah, it's, it's not it's not something that's going to transform your life day by day. Um, but again, you know, it's 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 very understated in the phone in the phone feature list. It's very understated about how you turn it on. There's this obscure symbol at the top. The, this kind of yellow concentric circle thing that you turn on to actually enable live photos. And even when you send them to other people, there's no indication on the photo that it's a live photo unless they happen to press on it. Uh, if they have a non-6S, uh, and a phone without false touch, then they have to long press on it to get the video. So, so again... So the, you could send me a live photo and I could still see the video on my Yeah, trip. but you'd have to long press on it and then basically it would launch like a video. Um, and I wouldn't even know that, probably. You wouldn't, but that's the problem. You wouldn't know that. There's no marking on the photo that kind of indicates it's a live photo. Um, and I, I think, actually, that's part of the problem with all of these features we've just been talking about, is they come across to me as being very undiscoverable. And, and I think people are used with, uh, with Apple stuff for things to kind of be fairly intuitive and discoverable. And none of these things are, because they've kind of used up all the easy ways of making things easy and obvious. Right. Um, well, that's like, um, I just read a review, of, I don't know who it was, of the new Apple TV. And someone said there's all these cool shortcuts and tricks and stuff, but it's not um, documented anywhere. Yeah. So how, how, you, how, will the pers- how will the user know to do this unless you accidentally discover it or happen to read about it somewhere? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the point. And, and let's face it, the mass market does not buy something new and then immediately go and search the web looking for articles about it. You know, that's a very kind of, you know, 
a kind of a well, it's a very tech fan way of doing things, and that's that's something I do all the time. If I if even if I've ordered something online, I'll immediately after I've bought it, um, I'll probably go and read a couple of extra reviews around about it to try and even before it arrives, try and find out a little bit more about it. But most people don't do that. Most people don't even open the manual that comes with the thing when they open the box. So um, most people call people like you and me to say, how do I do this? Exactly. Or, yeah, or have, you know, when the Best Buy tech guys come in and install it from them or just kind of muddle through. Um, right. So, so yeah, so I, I think I think this is something that Apple needs to think about because otherwise they'll be spending a lot of time and engineering effort on these cool things and then nobody will really know about them. Um, and uh, and they won't they won't judge their products perhaps fairly against against competing products because they you know the features there but you don't know exist and what's the point? I, 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 think, it, I think it's um, more than just Apple. I mean, for how long years ago when you would get like Photoshop or any piece of software, it would come with a book one to two inches thick. Yeah. With directions, and then all of a sudden it was a PDF file that you had to print yourself. Well, who printed? thousands, whatever, thousand pages on a printer. I mean, I, I would never read those books, but I could just look, it's easier to look through that book and say, I need to know how to do this, or you're flipping through trying to find something. Oh, wait, this looks cool. How do I do this? Yeah. I think it's just more of a general, um, you know, conserve paper, conserve costs by not printing manuals uh, anymore. I think it's more costs rather than, uh, rather than, than, the environment and uh, i mean i i once had a, a few years ago i had a conversation with um guy Searle's brother larry um uh, you know larry grinnell who we've had on the right. on the mymac show before um and he worked uh for a, a cell phone company and in in writing manuals um and he said i mean I, I don't know whether he's still doing that to be honest but uh even back then he was saying oh every year they've made it They've made the team smaller. They invest less in the manuals. They're, you know, don't, doing much more of, of of stuff on the web. And you know, he he, he basically almost said, like, well, I can see on the writing on the wall, they're just going to stop doing this. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, the, the state of manuals for pretty much most electronic projects now is is appalling. You, if you're lucky, you'll get something written in five languages that has about five or six bullet points and a couple of diagrams. Right. You know, for pretty much any any uh, consumer product nowadays, is you're all expected to kind of just figure it out for yourself. I was I was struck when I uh, when I first fired up the Amazon Fire TV stick. One of the neat things it did when you first configured it, it was pretty easy to self-configure, and it had a little manual in the box, but there wasn't an awful lot there. But the first thing after you fired it up and got it working was it actually downloaded and played a video. There was about eight minutes that actually showed you how to do everything on the Fire TV stick that you needed to do. That's and I, cool. I thought, that, well, I thought it was a neat idea. The problem with that, of course, is that a lot of people are just going to click past right, it. Most because, people won't watch it anyway. Yeah, that's right. You could make it like the um, like the FBI warning we used to have on uh, on DVDs right. and videos, where you, where the basically there's no way to get past it. You have to sit through it. That's true. <laughs> You know, but I will just be the room till it stops running. So. That, well, yeah, but at that point, you can kind of say to people, well, you, you know, you really are on your own. We tried our best to educate you, right. um, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, if you walk out the room, then then you kind of you're on your own. <laughs> maybe, maybe some of these things, they, maybe they should sell different versions of the product. There's the low featured idiot version for people who have no no attention span and then there's a more fully featured version for people who are prepared to put the effort in. 
So yeah. Yeah. But then again, why should they put all this money into making directions on their website that the day it comes out will have a whole guide? This is how you do this. This is how you do this. This is how you do this. They have people doing it for them. So why should they? I guess so. Pay I guess so. The problem is those, you know, those websites are not most of most of the websites are not awash with money from all the people going to them looking for looking for all the information. You know, it's only a, a very small subset of the community who are interested in even finding out about that stuff. Speaking of going to the web to find out about stuff, I, I saw something on my Mac uh, a week or so ago that saying that you'd had some weird weird behaviour with your iPhone. And this kind of resonated with me because I've got something weird going on with my iPad at the moment. And it kind of ties into what we're talking about, documentation, in that I have not been able to find anything anywhere about my problem. And I was interested that you called up support about yours. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, uh, as the article I wrote in my Mac, I called it a haunted iPhone, which is mm. kind of what, what it seemed like. It was like it was possessed. Um, I would turn it on. Push, let's say I wanted to open an app, I'd tap the icon for that app, and then another app would open, and then that app would close by itself, and another app would open by itself and close by itself, and it would just randomly start opening apps, or I'd try to type something with the keyboard, push one key, and another key would push, and it would just start typing keys I wasn't even touching. Weird. Um, it, was, it was really weird, and um, I figured, okay, um, maybe it's a screen protector. I took the screen protector off. I did a full reset. I did anything and everything uh, you could think of. Yeah. And I called, decided to call Apple and um, the person, the first person I spoke to was like, this is really weird. I've never heard of this before. And um, he was going to, he was trying to get me a earlier appointment at the Apple store because I was a week away was the earliest time that they even had available. Yeah. Um, and he was like, well, you did this, you did this, you did this. Well, and he said, you know, is it all right if I have someone call you back tonight to see if um, anything opens up in the meantime? I said, sure, you know, whatever. So um, second person called me, and she went through everything, and she said, is there anything else I can help you with? I said, well, do you have any suggestions for what I should do? And she came up with, she said, um, have you tried taking the case off? And I said, what do you mean the case? How's the, you know, how's the case affecting doing any of this. And she said earlier in the day, she had someone with some other problem and the case was the cause of it. And she said, because of basically the gist I got from her was because of iOS nine, having like the force touch features in it for, um, the new phones, there was a lot of display code in it that the screen, something with the case could be causing the screen to be seeing things it shouldn't be seeing. Ah, said, I see. So they've changed the, they might have changed the screen detection algorithms for the uh, for the conductive sensor because of force touch. Right, so and somehow, been, yeah, it, it's in the old phones too. It wasn't right. just like, yeah, in the yeah, new phones. they used to because they made a big thing with the six. It had some sort of edge detection technology, so that if you had your finger near the edge of the screen, but uh, you might actually be activating it, but it wouldn't it wouldn't register that as a press. So I, I can imagine that, that they may have messed with those algorithms, I guess. And if it's the edge of the screen, that would make sense, too, because yeah. that's where the case right. would be. So what sort of case was it you had on there? It was, what was it? I don't remember. I think it was a, oh, it's right here in front of me. Let me see. It was a spec case. 
pretty okay. heavy duty one too. Right. Um, and she said, you know, if it happens again, um, take the case off and see what happens. And um, when I hung up with her, I was like, you know, I'm just taking the case off now. Why should yeah. I wait? Yeah. And three days later, and I didn't have the problem again. Wow. And um, I'm, I still haven't had the problem. So I'm assuming it was the case. And um, pretty freaky. But the first call, I don't know. I told The guy told me to do something. Like, I guess to restart the phone because I had to enter my my um, code to get into the phone again because the yeah, touch ID wouldn't work because it had to reboot. Right. And um, I couldn't even enter the code. I was talking to the guy for five minutes saying, all right, you got to wait because... Like it won't register what I'm touching. I was touching, wow. like, you know, the number one. It would read number nine or That's whatever. That, like that is it was that, bad. Yeah, I mean, now, now I presume spec spec is like you want to talk about cheap Chinese manufacturer cases right. here. They're a, a, a registered, you know, well known name in in case development. I would imagine their products are, are, are you know, that they're, they're approved by Apple. So the fact that Apple's made changes that that's made this case cause such an, an odd problem is is very very peculiar. Only thing I could think of is the, what you just said with the edge, and maybe the it hung over the edge a little too much, yeah. and, or maybe some kind of shadow. I mean, I could have my finger a couple millimeters above the screen, and it would see it as being touched. Too. Yeah, well, I, I mean, they do do that. I've not, I've noticed that before that. Um, um, sometimes you can hover your finger and it'll pick it up as a touch. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the screen is not actually detecting you. Uh, certainly on a 6, on the 6S, obviously, it's got force touch in there as well, so it actually can detect pressure. But on a 6, the, um, the, the, the conductive element in there is it's detecting electrical fields from your finger. It's not actually detecting pressure at all. So... Um, you know, I, I I I have seen it where you can. Uh, it's not so much on my iPhone, but definitely on my iPad, I've seen it where you, I've hovered my finger very close to the screen, but not actually physically touched it, and it's registered as a touch. So I, mean, I was uh, like, at the point, I was like, well, did something change in my fingers that I was yeah, on the phone? Because yeah. the iPad was working fine. So. Yeah, I know it's a weird one. Well, the weird one I have is on my iPad, and and as I said, I've searched and searched for this, and I've not found. Um, any mention of this anywhere and I, and I I'm really not sure what to do about it so um, my uh, mine's an iPad's an Air 2 uh, and um, so that, that has touch ID as well and as, as you, you'll know yourself from from having a, a phone a phone and an iPad with a touch ID if you don't use the touch ID sensor for a couple of days then it asks you for your code it says, oh, you've not unlocked the screen within 48 right. hours, so now you've got to type your code in, rather, basically to protect you in case somebody steals the device, right? Um, I will pick up my iPad, having used it probably five, six hours before. I'll pick, it tends to be, I notice it most first thing in the morning, so I'll have been using it up until about, you know, 11.30 uh, midnight the night before. I'll pick it up the following morning, and I'll have this message saying, oh, asking me to put the code in. Even though I know I've, it's definitely not been 48 hours. Um, yeah, I've I, had that happen too. I, and you it, have. I'm like, did I restart it and I don't remember? Or this, this is what I, this is what I'm thinking. I'm, you know, but I start thinking, like, could it have rebooted overnight? Um, could I? Could it have run flat? I don't know, but it, it's definitely happening, and I don't know why. And I, it, I definitely believe it shouldn't be happening. I don't think I'm doing anything that should make it do that. 
Um, yeah, and it's, it's frustrating because I have a, like a, the whole point with Touch ID is um, you know I have a custom code on there. It's a big gnarly code. It's not just four digits or six digits, so it's actually quite a pain to put it in. You know, I, I hate having to reboot my iPad for that very reason because when you reboot your you reboot your iPad, it basically loses all of that stuff, and right. you know anything you have to do after then, um, you know the Apple Store, the app, the yeah, the App Store, iTunes, or anything like that, you know you're going to be putting that code in a few times. Um, so it, it's frustrating. That I keep having to do it when, in fact, I know I shouldn't have to do it. And I, I, I really don't know. And I've, I've searched for this, and I can't find any anything online about it at all. But you, your, uh, your story about it inspired me, and in that I'm going to do what I should have done, which is call Apple and ask them. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah. give them a call. You know, they might tell you some bizarre thing like. Uh you know, hold it at this angle or, you know. Even if they said, oh, yeah, it's a no bug and next version of iOS will fix it, would be right. fine because at least then I'd know, you know, A, I'd know it's not that something I'm doing and B, I'd know that, that somebody's going to deal with it at some point. Um, it, in, in fact, it reassures me slightly you've seen that yourself. At least I know it's just not me being yeah. crazy, <laughs> you know. Because you always worry when you see odd, when you see, I mean, I'm sure you had the same thing. You always worry when you see something odd with your devices, oh, no, it's broken. Right. Yeah. Oh no, I'm going to have to go. And especially if it's something weird, because there's going to be something. You, then you think it's broken. It might end up needing replacing, but I'm going to have a hard time convincing anyone to replace it because it's such a weird problem and it might not be reproducible. Right. That's the. That's always the concern when weird stuff starts happening with your with nine, your gear. Nine times out of ten, you go to the Apple Store and it doesn't happen. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I've learned, especially with the iPhone, if you call. Apple Care first before you go to the Apple Store and run through the problem, and they'll say, "Oh no, you know, there's nothing we can do. You need to go to the store. Let them take a look at it." And then you go to the store, and even if it doesn't, this has happened to me twice in the past two years. Even if they, they can't reproduce it, they've replaced it because I've had been given the expectation of a replacement by the person I spoke to on the phone. Ah, uh, yeah. There, you know what? There is something to that. I think as part of their process because. I took my 6S, but sorry, my 6 in just before I got my 6S. I had the um, the screen changed probably about five months ago. Um, you know the um, the whole the, the little uh, window at the front for the front facing FaceTime camera. Yeah, yeah. So on the on the 6, sometimes the uh, kind of the backing behind the screen starts to slip in front of that. So you see this kind of little grey crescent moon. In round the hole, yeah, on one side, kind of, it does exactly look like, you know, like a, you know, the moon just before an eclipse. So I had it, I had it changed for that uh, about five months ago. They, I took the phone in um, to the Apple Store local here. They took the screen off and replaced it for me in about um, about half an hour. It was, it was kind of cool, really. It, I quite like they did that because the screen had a couple of very faint scratches on it as well, so it fixed those as, as well. So um, the phone is now going to be out of warranty shortly, and it started to happen again. Uh, and I was going to give this 6 to my wife because I was upgrading to 6S through work. So I thought, oh, well, I'll go and take it down and get it changed again, so at least that, that's been dealt with before it's out of warranty. I went in there, and I showed it to the guy. And, and you know, funnily enough, I, I actually had a lot of problem getting an appointment. Uh, online now, I found that um, certainly in the U.K., the Apple stores very often will say, we have no appointments available and you can't book an appointment at all. Um, wow. So, uh, you know, they're getting kind of busy. Anyway, I got down there and I told the guy, I said, oh, look, you know, had this done. You can see it's starting to do it again. He said, yeah. He said, because you've had it fixed once already, we're just going to give you a new one. 
um, and they just changed it outright there and then. So I think there is something about you know expectation and um, right. a recognition that you've dealt with a problem before, and you know um, that's that's something that's nice nice to get from Apple anyway. Right, and people always say as long as you don't go in there, you know, kicking and screaming and oh, it's the worst thing you can do. Throwing a fit, you yeah. can usually get get some uh, decent service or yeah, or a good resolution. I, I think I think it's uh, probably a good. Uh, I, I, it's very um, it's very rare in in pretty much any interaction with anybody that shouting and screaming gets you anywhere. Right. <laughs> Particularly for somebody who has the power to do something for you, because you've got to motivate them to uh, be nice to you and and it helps by being nice to them <laughs> right yeah, yeah i used to have a um a former student of mine years ago high school student she had a iphone 4 i think within two months she cracked the screen at least three times maybe and every time she went to the apple store i think she put on like you know the uh the tears and the sad face and they just swapped yeah. it for her. no yeah. questions asked so I have a yeah I have a friend at work who um, he's he's a young guy and he's well known for occasionally being rather awkward. We all kind of recognise this in him, and we all you know he, he's a nice enough fellow, and we all kind of put it down to you know he's he's perhaps a bit young, bit inexperienced, but he can get very very stuck in the mud about things, and. Um, in fact, not long after I'd had that screen change on my iPhone, he, I, I noticed his six had a, bro- had a break in it. And he said, oh, yeah, I dropped it last weekend. So I said to him, I said, look, I just had the screen replaced on mine. I know they can do it in the store. It takes them about half an hour. So he said, I said, you know, because he was talking about going to some kind of no-name place to get it done. Because he was saying, well, I was taking it to Apple. They're going to say, well, I broke it. Um, and they're going to charge me a lot of money. I said, look, I saw the invoice for the work they did on mine. I said, it wasn't a huge amount of money. It was less than £100. So I said, I'm sure if you went in there and asked them to do it at cost and you were reasonable, you probably could get it done for not much more than you pay some guy in a, in a market store and you'll get a much better job. I said, so take it down there and, you know, if you want to copy the invoice, so you can actually, you know, speak to and say, look, I know somebody's done it. I saw in the following week the phone was fixed. I said, oh, did you do what I said? He said, yeah. He said, that. in fact, I went down there and, um, you know, I spoke to them about it and everything. You know, and he said I was quite upfront that I dropped it. And they said, they, they said they'd replace the screen for free. I went, oh, that's great. That's really good. He said, yeah, but then I had this huge row with him. <laughs> I said, I said, hang on a minute. They said they fixed it for free. Why did you have a row with them? He said, because my phone had a, had a film screen protector on it. And when they gave me the phone back after they've replaced the screen, they'd taken the screen protector off and thrown it away. I said, yeah, because those things are, those film ones are disposable, you know. Once you've taken them off, you don't want to put them back in. He said, yeah. So I said, I, he said, I asked them to give me another one. He's, and they, they basically, they wouldn't. And so he said, I, they got the manager out and eventually they begrudgingly admitted to give me a pack of new screen protectors. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. But you do not have the moral high ground on this one. You broke your, dropped your phone. You broke it. They fixed it for nothing, and then you start going on about your cheap screen protector. Uh, you get new one for like 
next to nothing. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, certainly you don't. Most people don't pay what you pay in the Apple Store for those sorts of things. Right. But but yeah, I mean, that's thing. I would have I would have said, you know, they've they've given me like a eighty ninety pound value here for nothing. Right. You know, walk away. <laughs> But he didn't. He caused a great big fuss. <laughs> apparently, apparently, we stood there for half an hour arguing with them and getting the manager out and everything. And you know, I was, next uh, time he needs a new screen, it's not going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. At least he got the work done before he uh, had a go about right. the screen protector. <laughs> but uh, I did probably have a flag on his account now. Uh, I, I'd imagine so. Yeah, they'll probably uh, next time he goes to the Apple Store, they'll probably uh, the security guard take him to one side as soon as he walks in. So, excuse me, sir, we've heard about you. You're uh, you're not actually allowed on these premises anymore. <laughs> the Microsoft Store is right over there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we 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 don't have the joy of the Microsoft Store here. So, uh, okay. Where uh, have you ever been in one of those? No, I haven't no. actually. I've seen kiosks. Yeah, I've but, been, uh, I've been in the one in San Francisco. Um. I was there a couple of years ago, and it's strange. It is, it is kind of like um, I, it always reminded me of if you saw somebody who was who's kind of um, trying to do an Apple store in a TV show. You know, a set designer had said, right. oh, we, we, we need an environment that, that's kind of is meant to make you think like the Apple store, but we don't have the rights to use the Apple name. So it's got to be, you know, whatever orange or whatever the, the name of the show is going to be. And, that, and that's what the Microsoft store is like. It's like a slightly off knockoff of the Apple store. It's very, very peculiar. <laughs> I, we were actually um, talking about when I, you know this, but um, I met Tim and Guy the other night for dinner because Tim was in town in my area. Yeah. And we actually were uh, talking about the Microsoft store and how empty that is and you go in the Apple store and you just mob scene no matter what yeah. time of day it is. Yeah, I... I it's interesting, you know. Microsoft is obviously very keen to capture some of what Apple has, but the way they go about it, they, you know, they they do seem to have this idea that they can just do a few hip advertising campaigns and it will just happen. Uh, they don't seem to perceive that it's there's an awful lot more than that. Um, and and let's face it, the Apple Store. It, I wasn't I wasn't really into Apple when it, when they first started, so. Um, I I I never knew kind of what they were like to start with, you know how busy yeah. they were to start with. But um, I, I the thing that always strikes me about the Apple Store is that not only is there amazing attention to detail in in terms of how they do it and what they offer and everything, but it is something that has been built up over time. It's not something that they just captured the lightning in the bottle straight away. And it's not just the store experience itself. Again, it's it's everything they do. It's it's the genius bar. It's the products they sell, it's the way the staff behave, it's the the approach of the store, it's very open, it's very, you know, the, I mean, you go to the ones in London, they are always full of uh, tourists and students checking their email and, and stuff like that, and they don't get hung up about that at all, whereas right. a lot of stores, you'd imagine people go, oh, these people are here and they're not buying anything, I don't want them here. Um, you know, Apple just don't care because they know that people using their products is, is in their interest, even if they're right. just checking, you know, even if they're Polish and they're just checking their mail. Um, and, uh, they don't care if you sit outside their store all day using the Wi-Fi. No, well, in, in fact, the, the one in London um, has a theatre upstairs and they have people sit down all the time just sitting there working. That's 
Um, and there's presentations going in front of them and everything. And yeah, they, they are just using the free Wi-Fi. And th- again, they, they don't mind because they know that if you're in their environment, eventually you might be inclined to buy something. You know, anytime you're on their premises, you are potentially a future customer. Right. Um, and, and, and so I, I think, I think the Apple store is more of just, just in a place. And it's more than just the products they sell. It's kind of a big conglomeration of those things. And, and, I, and I think that's what Microsoft doesn't get. They just think, oh, well, we just have a nice place for people to come and buy our stuff. They'll come and buy our stuff. Uh, and they don't seem to realize it's an awful lot more than that. And a lot of it is, is not particularly tangible or is not, is not tangible to most of us. I'm sure it's tangible to people who've owned and run the Microsoft Store operation for a long time. But um, it's not something that, that's easy to reproduce. And, and I think it takes time as well. Yeah, and don't they, doesn't Microsoft Store, they do the whole t-shirt thing like Apple and the, the uniforms for the staff? Yeah, yeah, they try, they try and do that. Um, it, but, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't really come across. I, and, and, you know, I, I, as I said, I've been to this one in, um, in San Francisco and, um, I, I've even been in it when it's slightly busy, um, uh, but it's never anything like, uh, Apple Store busy. Um, and, uh, you know, the people who work there are very nice and, you know, everything's presented very well and that sort of thing. But it, you can see it, it is just the kind of hollow shell of the idea as opposed to the, the, you know, the, the complete, the complete package. And uh, right. it's kind of sad, really. I, I, you know, I, I guess if they can hang in there long enough and maybe if one day Apple star does fall, then they will be uh, there to pick up the pieces and maybe get some of the spoils. But, um, at the moment, doesn't seem to be working for them. Yeah. Yeah. So we we had some feedback that um, uh, I must admit I was I was hoping to get to a bit before now, but it's been so interesting to talk to you. I, I've not had a chance to do it. Um, one of our one of the things we've been talking about um, recently on the show is ad blocking uh, and this whole business with with Apple ad blockers and and kind of the minor storm it caused. In the blogosphere, when uh, when Apple started blocking, you know, allowing blocking support on on iOS nine, right? Is that something that that you, that you do? Do you run a, an ad blocker on your uh, on your iOS devices? I do, and um, the weird thing is, I don't know how much you, I use like um, Safari, but when I read websites, I'll do it through the RSS app, um, yeah. or I'll read articles through like Zite or um, like stuff like that. And I don't know if the the blockers work through them or not. I think so, I think um, it, I think it depends on the particular app. If they use the new Apple WebView uh, Safari WebView controller, then they will. Um, okay. Most most of them don't know because that's brand new and it wasn't there before. And so most of them kind of use their own web render, access the web API directly. I know certainly Unread, the one I use, doesn't, and it's quite noticeable that um, that the ad blocking doesn't run on there. Um, so so yeah, it just it just depends on on the app the app that you're running and that sort of thing. Right, but um, I mean, if an app, I'll tell you if a, you go to these sites and then the video pops up with the ad running, I immediately just leave the site anyway. So yeah. But well, here's the problem with it. I mean, we um, I I mean, I, I'm surprised that people got so exercised about it because this is something that's been on the PC and right. and the Mac say the same thing. for ages. And, you know, history proves on there that most people don't bother with these things. You know, going back to the, the discussion we we're having right at the beginning about discoverability, you know, 95% of people just 
have no they they have no awareness of they they're aware of the ads for sure but they have no awareness of the technology to block it and and probably don't have the interest and i think it's it's pretty much the same with uh with ios 9 you know you have to go out and look for these things they're not particularly easy to run and turn on um you have to install the app and then you can't turn it on inside the app you have to then go into settings and that's sort of, it, it's I, d- I didn't think it was particularly a, it wasn't as a kind of a, a seamless experience as I was expecting and I've got to admit I've, I've tried a couple of them and I've had some issues with some websites where they don't work properly after I've had them running so if I have had to go back yeah. in turn them off yeah. the site and bounce back and forth but it's like the same thing we said before you know my wife she wouldn't know they existed but I, unless I put it on her, her phone yeah and and I was kind of struck by you know, a lot of people did when this first happened. They they did the metrics that showed how much bandwidth these sites were using for ads and that sort of stuff as well. Um, and as terrible as that is, and and, and how I'd, I hate it, and I wish it would go away without us having to do things like web web blocking. The fact is that again, most people don't notice. And I was struck by this business that would, that happened this last week, where it turned out the Facebook app was sucking a lot of power up on a lot of people's phones via. Well, Facebook say it's bugs. People, people uh, who are more cynical assume that it was deliberate ploy by Facebook, and then now they're backtracking. Now they've been caught. But basically, they've been able to have their their app running in the background an awful lot more on iOS devices than people assumed. Even if you turn background processing off, um, I'm like you. I don't do Facebook. No, well, I I don't either. So it didn't bother me. But again, the thing is, is that. They've been doing this, and people haven't really. They either haven't noticed, or if they have noticed, they've just kind of put up with it. They right. nobody's really cared, and there's not, certainly not been a since since that's been discovered. Not been a mass, you know, protest about you know we must stop using the Facebook app. I even mentioned this to somebody at work. I said, oh, you know that the Facebook app uh, uses a lot of power up your phone, and they've been doing these these nefarious things and all this sort of thing. So I said. Um, so you, you, what you might want to do is delete the Facebook app on your phone and just access it through the website. And she said to me, "said Yeah, I can't do that. There's too many too many things I use in the Facebook app that I can't do on the website." So I told her, and she thought it was terrible, but she didn't think it was terrible enough to delete the delete the app and stop using it. Right. And I think this is the same with ad blocking: is that pe- most people in isolation will say, "Yeah, it sucks. It's terrible. I hate the ads. I hate the pop-ups." I'd like more bandwidth. I'd like more battery life. But then most people won't then go the thing and actually do anything about it. So I don't think the Admageddon that was being suggested uh, was ever really likely to happen. Um, but having said that, I think, you know, one thing is is good about it is that the advertising um, industry, who I wholly own as uh, holders responsible for this, I don't blame... A lot of people have been going, oh, it's the website owners for having the ads. And it's like, no, I don't blame them because this is this is what they've been offered. Um, you know, they, I, I do wish they'd kind of, on an individual basis, you can't fight this. You can't turn around to any of these big ad, ad networks and say, I don't want the, you know, the spam ads, the, you know, top 10 right. celebrities who've, who've aged badly appearing on my site. And I, I, I don't want that. And I don't want the pop-ups. And I don't want that because the ad, the ad, industry just serves you what they serve you and you're kind of stuck with it um i wish the i wish the um certainly in the technical press the technical press owners had gotten together 
And I think if they'd have got organised, they could maybe have gone back to the, to the ad industry and say, look, this stuff is terrible and we don't want it anymore. But I think on an individual basis, you've got no power to do that. You can only do it as a group. Um, but that's that's a separate thing. You know, I blame the ad industry. They know they've been doing this for a long time and they just have no interest in cleaning it up. And they were very, very silent in this whole debate when the ad blocking thing came up with on Safari. It, it was it was at least a week before anybody from the ad industry even said anything about it. Like the, the um, honestly, the ads that are just on the site, like uh, you know, an ad click ad click here on the left hand side or the right hand side that just sit there, like a graphic. They don't bother me. It's the ads that just pop in your face, totally disrupt what you're trying to do and. You know, well, yeah. Apparently, make unusable but make some websites practically unusable because right, sometimes yeah. the X is there, but you tap that X and it doesn't even make the window go away. No, or it's or it's hidden, or it's uh, you know, it moves into different things, right. and they play all sorts of games. But apparently, the, the the issue is even the sidebar ads, because of the way the ad industry has built itself now, is they will, you know, there might be fifteen or twenty different scripts running for a sidebar ad. And the, the end result is you just get to see one ad, one ad. But in fact, those scripts are going all over the place, and they're dropping cookies everywhere. And um, you know, they they almost like bid to sell you the ad as you click on the link. And so there's all, there's this huge amount of computing power being chewed up by these ads, um, and bandwidth and everything, which to show you just a simple static sidebar. And and that's that's really where I, I you know I, I get sick of the industry because they've basically you know it's like the line from Jurassic Park you know they spent they spent so much time thinking about what they can do they never stop to think about whether right. they should do it you know and um, they've treated everybody badly and 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 you know you hear about as part of this debate people have been going oh if people block ads then websites might go out of business and they couldn't afford staff and everything like that and each time I hear that I thought and it's funny enough I've never heard of a of an ad network or, an, or a media company or a, an advertising media company complaining about how they're not making any money and they're about to go to the wall. It's true. Yeah, they're the ones who are creaming all the money out of this, you know. So anyway, um, one of our um, one of our uh, correspondents, Brendan Rowland, emailed us to say, uh, and he sent me a link to a. Um, a post from the IAB, the Interactive Advertising Bureau, which basically said, "Look, we we messed we messed up. We're sorry. Um, the uh, you know we we should we should have done this better, and we're going to start start a new new program called Lean, which will be uh, light, encrypted, ad choice supported, non-invasive ads. And uh, you know this was obviously an attempt by them of a bit of damage control." Um, but you know, I've got to be honest. Don't, I mean, it, it, it all it all sounded a bit hollow. It didn't. Uh, and Brendan points out that it did not talk about um, blocking tracking, which he says frequently comes along for the ride with the ads. And yeah, that that is probably the thing that many people are more concerned about rather than the ads themselves, is the fact they're being tracked and what they does. Um, and uh, yeah, Brendan, I think he's a, you know. Uh, believes the same as us he says the rise of ad the, the quote from the article the rise of ad blocking poses a threat to the internet and brenda goes no it doesn't it poses a threat to bottom peeling pond life on the internet the internet existed long before such life washed up in the shores and the internet will be fine when it disappears the web on the hand could do do well by being transformed much of the better in my humble opinion 
Of the antics it has perpetrated, I have zero sympathy for the ad, ad industry. In fact, I'm rather sympathetic to the Bill Hicks attitude, go and kill yourself. <laughs> so uh, fairly uh, fairly strong strong view there. But, yeah. you know, look, I, I, people are there to make money, and they make money in the way they think is best. Um, I, I just I just think that it's unfortunate that the uh, you know the ad industry has has allowed itself to get so carried away on excess um, with with what they've been doing and 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 hopefully even if the if the debate around ad blocking just helps to improve that five percent ten percent then that will be a better thing. Right. Yeah. I I, I mean you you talked about. Um, you talked about using um, an RSS reader, and I do too. I use Unread. Have you looked at um, Apple News at all? How have you found that? Yeah, I have. I I like it. I know people don't, but I like. I don't use it as much as the reader, yeah. the RSS reader. But um, when I need something to look at, I'll open it up and go through it. And I I find a lot of stuff in it to read that I that I don't see through the RSS feed that I subscribe to. It, it like pulls from different sources. It it even pulls from a, like a local newspaper site i didn't even know existed in my area yeah uh, so I, I, I get i like it except for i don't know if you see this bug but if i scroll too far like if i keep scrolling through the articles eventually it gets to a point where it just starts going crazy and bouncing and yeah and i've like, i've noticed i've noticed it's a bit buggy i've seen it where it it, it doesn't seem to update to all the latest articles very easily um, and um, I mean, as I, because it works in the sidebar, it's actually one of the things I like to bring up on my iPad when I'm doing something else, and just kind of scroll through articles while I'm waiting for something to load or I'm, I'm waiting for something else to happen. Um, and I've noticed that in the in the multitasking view, it doesn't work very well at all. So it, there's definitely some some bugs that need squashing in there. But but the same as you, I I actually was we've we've only had it it only launched here in the UK a couple of weeks ago, so. Um, we, I've not, I'd not really seen it before, and and I was pleasantly surprised by how how useful I found it. And yeah, I do like the fact that it that it brings in content from um, sites and places that I probably wouldn't have thought to, particularly like you know the current news stuff. And right. same as you, I, there was a couple of local newspapers I've got in there as well now um, that that are pretty good. I, and I like the reading experience. I think it's it's nice. Yeah, so, you I know, like I, it. I've always liked the kind of the the stripped down view that you get with. Uh, Things like Instapaper and Pocket and things. So, um, yeah, it kind of works for me. But similarly to you, I, uh, until I have the capability of adding my own feeds to it, I wouldn't switch away from my RSS reader. I'd love to be able to take all my RSS feeds that I'm subscribed to, put them into Apple News, yeah. and then have it add extra things as well. Right. And then I will probably use it as a full as my full time reader, but um, provided it's synced up properly across all my devices as well, because that's important to me. But um, but yeah, no. one of those um, those tips that um, you may not. Dis- I discovered this accidentally. I don't know if this is a known feature, but if you tap the top, I think it says for you. Or, right. You know the if you double tap it, it brings you straight to the top of your latest news. Okay, that's cool. Like it instantly jumps to the top of your. Um, of your feed. I see it's doing that. Yeah. Accidentally did that. So there's one of those, um, features that you just, you know, you accidentally discover and find yeah. out by listening to a podcast or. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. I, I, I like it. I know it, as people say, it's, it's had some mixed reviews and that's also part of this, you know, threat to the internet about Apple curating and 
presenting stuff from, from the web in a walled garden rather than being direct on the web. But, you know, hey, the web's got to clean itself up. Um, otherwise, uh, uh, you know, even all it's going to take is for, is for something to happen that overcomes people's apathetic attitude to, uh, you know, web blocking. Uh, ad blocking and then all of a sudden you know the the industry could could find itself in ad again right but i mean like with apple aggr- um, aggregating all this stuff i mean that's the whole point of the rss reader that's what it, when i discovered an rss reader years ago i thought it was the greatest thing you know i don't have to go through all these bookmarks clicking a site and reading these articles it pulls in the headlines and read the ones i like and i don't have to be stuck in a browser surfing from site to site to site to site to site. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think you and I are on the same page with that. I know a lot of people kind of moved away from RSS when uh, Google Reader died, um, and uh, it seems to be a, a, a bit of a, a, a technology that people aren't as keen on. A lot of people, you know, funnily enough, a lot of people still use the same concept, but they use it in something like Facebook or their Twitter feed. So they're kind of using the same thing. They want that stream of articles. Right. And they're quite happy to get it from Facebook or uh, Twitter. They don't want to curate it themselves from RSS. And that's fine, you know, whatever whatever floats your boat. But, um, yeah, I, I like Apple News, and uh, I shall continue to use it. And I hope, I hope against hope that it's one of those things that Apple continues to improve. You know, sometimes yeah, App, Apple launches these big marquee things, um, and then they're not successful from day one, and then they just kind of let them wither and die. I hope it appears a year later. Yeah, or, well, even worse, it, what it doesn't, it, it, Apple doesn't tend to kill these things off. It tends to kill them off about five years too late, in my opinion. Right. You know, you know, is it, if you look at something like iWeb, which kind of, you know, died a slow, lingering, painful death. Actually, I use iWeb. I love iWeb. Yeah, well, I liked iWeb too. I know Geisel was a huge fan of iWeb, and uh, you know, it, he, it really hurt him how they treated it because they, they really did kind of knife it in the back and then leave yeah, it to yeah. die in a pool of blood on the floor over about four years. Um, and uh, it was sad to see. I really hope that Apple News doesn't end up like that. And I remember every time they had an a new iLife. I was always waiting, okay, what are you going to do to iWeb? What are you going to do to iWeb? Yeah. And it wasn't even mentioned, and it just sat there at whatever yeah. 1.0. Or, yeah. And it was still usable, and they always made it work with the new um, operating system, but they never improved it. They just made it work. Yeah, I, I always got the impression that after the initial rush that it was like two guys who were fixing it in their spare time, yeah. <laughs> and nobody knew they were doing it. You know, and then they were slipping the code into the disks, uh, into the final gold bills of the disks when the new version of uh, of iLife came out, uh, of iWork came out, and um, you know everyone was kind of assuming it was the same program. <laughs> you know, until eventually somebody said, Look, "What are those two guys doing?" You know, let, let's put an end to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the way Apple sometimes does things. So, um, so that that's not all of the feedback from Brendan and others. But you know what? I think we'll uh, we've been we're running quite long now, so I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Donnie, it's been a joy having you on this week. Really, uh, no problem. Really I had a entertaining. Great time. Happy um, to do it again while uh, Tim's on a hiatus. Sure. Yeah. Let's. Uh, I, I'm. I know that um, my son is very keen to do a show with me next week because um, I've been promising him for a while. So I've I've kind of. I've I've given him the slot for next week, but maybe the week after that would be good if. Sure. Uh, we if, need to uh, um, 
make your son a logo and get him his own podcast. <laughs> I know. You know what? He he uh, he's he's he would be very keen. He's he's discovered the joys of um, the you know these guys who do these Minecraft videos where they basically yeah. just play Minecraft and then commentate over the top. He's discovered the joys of these, and I think I think he fancies himself as a bit of a broadcaster doing the same thing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and he probably will be quite good at it. It, 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 it slays me because, uh, you know, he, this, this last week he's not been well, so he's been at home most of the time. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I kind of get up to go to work in the morning, and I hear this giggling coming from his room. And basically he sat on his iPad watching these videos, and they, this guy does like two or three a day, and he finds them hilarious. Absolutely, and it's a thing. It's a thing where all of a sudden it makes me feel like an old guy, because like, you know this is the first time my son's doing something technical. Where I'm looking at it, thinking, I don't really get it. <laughs> you know? yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't get Minecraft at all. I don't, yeah. I, I don't touch it. And my my students absolutely love it. It shows up in their artwork, but they look at me and they go, "This is this." I'm like, I I don't know what it is. I don't do Minecraft. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, this, this, this is basically this guy playing Minecraft, and there's a little video of him and a camera in the corner, and he's commentating on the stuff he's doing, and apparently it's, it is the, um, the funniest thing my son has ever seen. So, uh, well, if he ever, uh, breaks out on his own, I know an artist who can design a logo for him. Uh, I like the sound of that. I'd very much like the sound of that. I will, uh, I'll have to discuss that with him. Sounds good. Okay. Well, thanks very much for joining me today, Donnie, and giving me your time. My pleasure. And, uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. All right. Okay. See you, Dave.